Good morning. Um, I want to start by first saying Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers in the congregation. I have always appreciated what moms do, but I think I began to appreciate it even more so after I started leading day camps and teaching. I love my students, but there are definitely some days when I am not super sad to say goodbye to them at the end of the day. But you moms, like you spend either all day with them and then all evening, or you work with people all day and then you go home and spend all evening with your kids. So I think you're amazing. Way to go. (laughs) That's tough. (laughs) I would especially like to honor my mom today. My mom is one of my biggest heroes, not just because she's raised four amazing children. Uh, She's my hero because she lives every single day for the Lord, listening to him and obeying him. I've had the privilege of watching her spearhead the purposes of God in her own life, in our family's life, and in this church life. And I know that I am who I am today largely because of my mom. So thanks, mom. Yeah, you can give her a clap. (laughs) You know, Mother's Day can actually be pretty tough for a lot of women, can't it? Maybe uh, you don't have children or you can't have children. Or maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've lost your mom. Or maybe uh, you have children, but they're not doing super well at the moment. Or maybe you have a strained relationship with them or with your mom. And so this day is, is happy in a way, but it sometimes can be really tough. And maybe this day is even hard for you because you're not even married yet, and that's what you really want. The message I'm going to share today is one of hope, I believe, for you and all of us, specifically hope in our identity in Christ and not in our roles in life. We're going to be looking at two different scriptures, Luke 2, 48 to 49, and Mark 3, 31 to 35. So you can keep your thumb in both of those. Um, And I'm just going to start by praying. Lord, I thank you so much for our mothers today. God, I thank you that you specifically handpicked every single mother for each one of us. And Lord, I I pray that you would bless our moms today, that you would be filling them with with just grace and love and, and favor today, and that you would make us a blessing to our moms. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear your message today, and that every word that comes through my mouth would be from you and not me, in Jesus' name. So, when Jesus came to earth, in addition to dying on the cross for our sins and restoring our relationship with God, he actually demolished a lot of our religious beliefs and paradigms that we have. And one of those paradigms is that, um, is our view of identity, both his identity and our own identity. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about, those two different identities, God's, Jesus' identity and our own identity. So we're going to start with, who is Jesus? So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 2, 48 to 49. If not, it's on the screen. A bit of context before we jump into it. Jesus is 12 years old in this moment, and he and his parents have just traveled to Jerusalem for the annual religious Passover feast. And they went to the whole festival, and Mary and Joseph leave um, to go back home. But Jesus decides to stay in the temple to ask questions and learn from and actually teach religious leaders. Problem is, neither Mary nor Joseph realized that Jesus stayed back. And they don't realize this until a day into their journey, and 
as you can imagine, they begin the frantic search for him. They travel back to Jerusalem, and after three days, they finally find him in the temple. And this is where we pick up. So I'm reading from the ESV, Luke 2, 48 to 49. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And for the record, that means ticked off, (laughs) as we can all imagine. (laughs) And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And that's also translated to, or about my father's business. Can you imagine this situation? Some of us can maybe relate a little bit. I can. Um, When I was young, my parents accidentally left me at church. (laughs) After the service, I was running around with all my friends. And, uh, you know, the friends started leaving one by one. And... After a while, because it takes so long for my parents to leave the building, you got to amuse yourselves. Um, After a while, I was like, ooh, yikes, this post-church crowd is really thinned out a bit here. And as I got closer to the gym, I realized, hmm, actually, I'm pretty sure it's only the Peters left. And I don't know if you've stayed long enough to know that if it's only the Peters left, it's pretty bad. (laughs) So... I start searching for my parents. I thought maybe they had a quick meeting somewhere. I don't know. They're nowhere. And I can, I'll never forget that moment of standing in that foyer right by the food bank drop-off bin thinking, oh my gosh, they forgot me. Do they even love me? So Fiona came, we called, and turns out we had taken two cars to church that day and both thought I was in the other vehicle. So my situation is pretty minor, you know, being in a church in a familiar neighborhood compared to Jesus's. He was missing for three days in a massive city full of all kinds of people. And Mary and Joseph would have been panicked searching for him, thinking of all the horrible things that could happen. They finally find him, and he's just chilling like nothing ever happened in the temple. So yeah, I think we can imagine how frustrated they would be in that situation. How could Jesus be so insensitive to cause that much anxiety to his parents? How could he have done that to them? Yet, instead of hanging his head sheepishly as though he had done something wrong, Jesus responds in a very surprising way. Now, just to point out here, these words that Jesus says are the first recorded words of Jesus, and this is the only story about Jesus between his birth and the age of 30. So it's pretty important. His reply was this. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Again, about my father's business? Ouch. How would Mary and Joseph have felt in that moment? Here they are, understandably frustrated, blaming Jesus for staying behind. But Jesus takes their reproach and actually turns it right back to them. And in his surprising, gentle, but direct response, he teaches them something about his identity. He teaches them two things, and the first is that he is first and foremost the Son of God. When Mary mentions, your father and I have been searching, Jesus responds with a very deliberate mention of his heavenly father. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
It's really obvious here that he's not talking about Joseph. He's talking about his father in heaven. And he's actually making a very deliberate distinction between his earthly parents and his heavenly father. And he's reminding Mary and Joseph that first and foremost, he is the son of God more than he is their son. You see, Jesus was perfect. He did absolutely no wrong in staying behind in the temple. In fact, he deliberately did it because he knew that his heavenly father wanted him to. What 12-year-old boy stays for three days in the temple with older religious leaders asking them questions, learning from them, and teaching them? I teach 12-year-old boys. And... I'm pretty sure most of them would have either been running around Jerusalem with all their buddies or running around the caravan, caravan train heading home playing some version of olden day basketball. But not Jesus. He chose to stay alone with older religious leaders at the temple in order to talk with and about his father. Jesus was desperate to be in the presence of God. He was so thirsty for more of God that he would stay alone for three days. We don't even know if he ate. He was so thirsty to know more and see more and experience more and understand more of his father. He just wanted to be with him. So in this, Jesus was teaching Mary and Joseph about his identity. Mary and Joseph were supposed to know Jesus, right? They lived with him for 12 years already. They were supposed to know that he was the son of God and that of course he would want to be with his father. So Jesus says to him, why were you looking for me? Why did you even have to look? Didn't you know that I'd be here? Don't you know who I am? How could you forget that I would want to be right here and nowhere else? It feels pretty good to be known, doesn't it? I especially felt this on my last birthday. And I've mentioned up here before that I really like London Fogs, which is a hot Earl Grey tea drink. And if you don't know it, you should. It'll revolutionize your life. (laughs) I regularly talk about this passion of mine with, honestly, anyone who will listen. And so on my birthday, my sister... Lydia brings me my favorite breakfast from Tim Hortons and a nice large London fog. Diana over there gave me some of the best Earl Grey tea I've had. I've been rationing it out in my office over there. And then one of my classes surprised me with candles on donuts from Tim's and another large London fog. And then, if that wasn't it, my, one of my other classes decorated my office, surprised me with a mug and Earl Grey tea, and a big gift card to a very specific place that I like their fogs from. And if that wasn't enough, at the end of the day, another student comes, back, comes to my office there with a large Starbucks London fog, and then later, another student walks up to me with a gift card to Starbucks for more London fogs. Honestly, I could go on, but the point is, I felt like I was on cloud nine. Overwhelmed by how much the people in my life cared about my silly little preferences. I was also a little fogged out. (laughs) But days like this remind us of how wonderful it is to be known. 
How about the days when you're reminded about how much the Lord knows you? When he speaks to you about a situation that no one else knows about, or about a desire in your heart that's so deep down there you haven't even spoken it out. When he blesses you with sweet little specific things that only you would appreciate, and you realize he knows you so well and cares so deeply about those little details in your life. Jesus wanted his earthly parents to know him in this way. To know that he truly was the son of God and to know that of course he was going to do whatever it took to spend time with his father. And honestly, I wonder if that was a little bit painful for him to see that his earthly parents didn't know him yet the way he wanted them to. Jesus wants us to know him that way too. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus at all. In fact, you don't even really know why you're listening to me talking about London Fogs. But Jesus knows why. And he's actually inviting you to know him today. And maybe you've known Jesus at one point in your life, but you've forgotten some things about him and walked away because of it. Maybe you've known of Jesus your whole life. You've grown up in the church, but you've never really known him. Jesus is inviting you to know him today. He wants to meet you and get you to know him in a way that gives you hope and fulfillment in life. And joy while we're here on earth, not just in heaven. And we're going to talk a bit about that later and have an opportunity for you to really meet him. The second thing that Jesus taught Mary and Joseph about his identity is that Jesus' first priority is the will of God. In saying, did you not know that I must be in my father's house and about my father's business? He was reminding them that as the son of God, God's will trumped Mary and Joseph's will. And some commentators actually believe that Jesus specifically stayed in the temple without telling Mary and Joseph because he knew they wouldn't let him. And he knew that he had to follow first and foremost the will of his father. When the two conflicted, Jesus had to go with God. Mary and Joseph had clearly placed some expectations on Jesus. They expected that he would follow him follow them back to Nazareth like any good Jewish son, and they expected him to go according to the rules of being a Jewish son. But Jesus was teaching them that he does not act or move according to our expectations, but solely according to his heavenly father's will and expectations. And Jesus' identity has not changed one bit. He is still the son of God, whose first priority is still his father's will. And sometimes I think we tend to put expectations on him, just like Mary and Joseph did. We expect him to do certain things in our lives or do things a certain way. And we forget that he doesn't work according to those expectations. Rather, he acts according to the will of his father, his good, pleasing, acceptable will. I've talked a little bit about this before, but a while ago, God moved in my life in some ways that I was not expecting. And one of those ways was sending my sister Elise and my brother-in-law, Will, to England to plant a church. And to be honest, when I first found out about the possibility of them moving, I was angry. 
I began to question God's goodwill because I had expected life to go a certain way. Honestly, I think I had expected life to be a little simpler, a little easier, and a little more cut and dry. And it wasn't, and I was mad about it. Thankfully, God met me, spoke to me, and uh, really gave me a revelation of his goodness and, and how good surrender to his will, surrendering to his will is. So now, it's been almost nine months since Will and Elise left. And honestly, it's been really hard. It's, it's a process of grief for all of us, not just family. Yet already, I have begun to see some of the amazing good things that God had intended all along. And one of those things is simply my own personal growth. You see, last year was my first year of teaching. I teach here at the King's School, and God gave me the privilege of getting to teach with Elise, my sister. So she taught upstairs, I taught down here, and uh, Elise was my rock. I would go to her. I would go up to her classroom almost every single day, and we would just chat. And sorry, we would chat and laugh and debrief about just the absurdities that would happen every day. And some days, um, more than laughing, there would be tears like this, and I would be crying tears of frustration and anxiety and that feeling of I have no idea what I'm doing. And Elise would coach me through it. She would counsel me. She would guide me. She would take me through situations step by step. She'd encourage me, pray for me, the works. She literally coached me through everything last year, including how to write my emails. I got a little bit obsessive about the wording. You know, you don't really know what you're doing. (laughs) And I knew that her leaving back then, I, I knew that her leaving would mean I would really have to grow up. And you know what? Looking back over the past year, I have. I write all my own emails now. And although I have a long ways to go, God has toughened me up, strengthened me, stretched me, and made me more confident, capable, and dependent on him. We have to remember that God's will is good, pleasing, acceptable, and perfect. And even if we don't see all the good yet, we will keep on seeing the good, acceptable, perfect intentions of our Father. We need to surrender our expectations of him because otherwise we're going to limit him. And we're going to limit what he wants to do in us. But when we remove expectations, God can work outside our tiny little framework. And he's actually able to teach us and make us more like him and go beyond what we could ever try to imagine. So why is it important that we know Jesus and his identity, that he's the son of God and his first priority is the father's will? One of the reasons is because we are made in God's image, which means our identity is in him. Our identity comes from his identity. And this means that what Jesus taught and modeled to Mary and Joseph back at 12 years old is for us today. 
It's an example of how we're called to walk in our true identity. One, seeing ourselves as children of God, made in his house, made to be seeking his presence. And two, to be about his business, seeking his purposes above all else. So we're going to explore this more, who are we, through Mark 3, 31 to 35. So flip over to that section of the Gospels. And I'm going to read it again out of the ESV. So who are we? And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. From the beginning, Mary knew, Mary the mother of Jesus knew her identity. When the angel appeared to her and told her that she was going to become the mother of Jesus, her final response was, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She got it. She knew her identity wasn't in, ooh, I'm going to be the mother of Jesus, the son of God. Her identity was solely in being a bondservant of the Lord, which is a permanent servant of God forever. Now, although Mary knew who she was and was pretty firm in it, it doesn't mean that she never lost herself a bit. And if you've never read Lost Women of the Bible, I would highly recommend it by Carolyn Custis James. It's a really good book for anyone, not just women. And this is actually where I've gotten a lot of this from. To be honest, this thing of losing ourselves, I think, happens to a lot of us. We get so caught up in our lives, our, our jobs, our families, our labels, our roles, our hopes, our passions, that we lose ourselves a bit. We forget who we are and why we're here. And Jesus had to remind Mary of this a few times, who she was. And Mark 3 is one of those examples. So... In this Mark 3, it's a tense scene. Jesus, or Mary and Jesus' siblings are concerned for him. They're kind of thinking he's going a little crazy. And they pass word through this crowd to tell him to come to them because they're hoping to take him to Nazareth, back to his hometown. So in those days, the family unit was really highly valued in culture. And so most people would have assumed that Jesus would just comply with his family's wishes and head towards them. But Jesus surprises them all and responds with, who are my mother and brothers? Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Ouch, again. This seemingly cutting statement from Jesus towards his mother and siblings. Uh, excuse again what his family would have been feeling. If one of my sisters said that about me, I'd be like, I uh, excuse you. I'd be pretty ticked off. Here's the thing, though. Jesus wasn't making a negative statement about his family. Of course he knew who they were, and of course he loved them. But he was teaching them. He was making a point that proximity, roles, labels, and connections meant nothing. Rather, it was hearing and obeying the word of God that meant everything, that meant they were family. Mary, his brothers and sisters, were not valuable because of their title or 
family connection to Jesus. They were valuable because of their obedience to God, because they were disciples of Jesus. You see, the culture at the time was one in which Mary in particular, her glory and value were determined by whether or not she had children and how successful they were. And although it's changed a bit, I think we still have this culture, a culture in which you should get married, you should have kids, and those kids should grow up, be successful, and love the Lord. Is that bad? No, it's amazing. It's wonderful. They're great things, but... I think we can easily let these things become part of our identity or we seek to make them our identity. And honestly, I think the church in general in North America is really bad for this. Often, it's hard for us to distinguish between the shoulds and our own identity. They become so intertwined, and and pretty soon our identity becomes the roles, the giftings, the desires, the call on our life, the labels, and all the connections. So, when things don't go the way we hope, plan, or expect, we lose ourselves. We fail at something, and we don't just see it as a little failure and, and a learning moment from the Lord. We see it as like this hit to our identity, and oh, no. I'm awful, I don't like myself, and we start to self-loathe. Mary could have gone down this route. If she had lost sight of that original identity of being a servant of the Lord and adopted this society view of wife and mother, she would have fallen apart when her husband Joseph died and then when her son Jesus died a very humiliating, supposedly criminal death on the cross. Everyone would have seen this supposed failure of her son as her failure as a mother. And if her identity was tied up and only wrapped around being a mother, she would have lost herself. So as tough as it was to hear, Jesus reminded her in Mark 3, hey, you're not valuable because you're my mom. You're valuable because you hear and do my will and seek me first. Your identity is not your role or calling in life. Your identity is simply being a servant of the Lord. And just like Jesus' identity was in being a son and doing his father's will, Mary's was too. Ours is too. And these reminders and Mary's choice to live out her identity as a hearer and doer of God's word are the reasons why she did not falter at the cross. They are the reasons why her and her children were actually still with the disciples after Jesus' death before they saw him again, still carrying on hearing and doing God's will. Now to clarify, Jesus is not devaluing motherhood. In fact, he honors it and implores us to do the same. What he is saying is that our identity is not just in whether or not we are mothers. In life, I think a lot of us place and limit our identities in lots of different things, our career, success, roles, 
being married, being single, being young, looking a certain way, being athletic, being a certain ethnicity, being smart, all these things, right? And it's easy to get lost in them and subconsciously wrap our identity in them. And I am guilty of this. When I was young, I placed some of my identity in being a soccer player. And then when I stopped playing, I felt like I'd lost myself a little bit. Like, was I as valuable or as important or, or even as athletic if I wasn't playing soccer anymore? And I may not be stressing as much about that anymore. But there are other areas in which I sometimes lose myself and my identity. My dad got married when he was 27 years old. And when I was little, I always thought that was really, really old. Yeah, everyone's laughing. I think I subconsciously always thought that that was like the top end for getting married. Like, that's kind of the threshold. You know, after that, it's like, mm, hit or miss. You don't know if it's going to happen. It's terrible. Well, I turned 26 this year, and I'm single. And before my birthday, I was processing this idea of being 26. And suddenly, I had this moment of revelation, some surprise, a little bit of horror, when I realized, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not getting married before 27 years old. In fact, I could likely be older. And, and I wasn't, like, sad about it, but it was also a little weird when you have this paradigm your whole life of what should happen. I've always wanted to get married, and now I've had the privilege of seeing most of my friends get married. And by the end of this summer, I will have been to 24 weddings in four years. Yes, shocking. <laughs> Three of them were just in April this year. Honestly, I think I've placed some of my identity in this hope and desire to get married one day, and I have felt pretty low about it at times. And this age thing is all relative, right? Like, I'm 26, but there are people older than me who are struggling with it, and there are people younger than me who are struggling with it. Questions come up of, well, who am I if I don't get married? Am I still as valuable as someone who did get married? Does being single change my worth at all in the kingdom of God, in the church, as just a human? And I think a lot of us think these questions and don't really know the answers. So the day before I turned 26, I was a little grumpy. I was grumpy about forgetting my lunch, but deep down I was grumpy about life. But God began speaking to me, thankfully. <laughs> and by the morning of my 26th birthday, I decided on my drive to work that it was time to pray and thank God for 26. I made a choice that day to embrace 26, to embrace singleness, to embrace the fact that, yeah, I'm still living at home paying cheap rent, and I love it. <laughs> Shout out, Mom and Dad. <laughs> I made the choice to embrace the fact that I potentially spend more time in this building with 11 to 16-year-olds than I spend time anywhere else or with anyone else, and I love it. And as I prayed these things out, my perspective shifted, and you know what? I am loving being 26. 
Yes, I have very tough days where I still struggle and I slip back into this old identity. But God is speaking to me about the fact that my identity is not wrapped up in whether I'm married. It's not wrapped up in whether I become a mother or not. It's not wrapped up in whether I'm preaching here or preaching to a stage of thousands or a crowd of thousands of people. My identity is not found in my giftings, my job, my friends, my family, my name, my successes, my failures, or what people think of me. It's not found in how much I know about the subjects that I need to, or or how much people like me, or how much they even affirm me. My identity is solely found in being a child of God and a disciple who hears and obeys his word. And family, your identity is not found in your role or your situation in life. It's not found in whether you're happily married or having successful kids. Women and girls, your identity is not found in being the nurturer and the caregiver and and how beautiful you look on the outside. And men and boys, your identity is not found in being the provider and the protector and how handsome you look or how tall you are. Yeah, God may have some of these amazing things for us. And if he does, that's awesome. It's good. And if he doesn't, that is also awesome and good. Because our identity rests solely in being children and disciples of Jesus. Bond servants who hear and obey his word. And in that, in that true identity is where we find joy, contentment, and peace. The desires of your heart Your dreams and your passions are so important, and they are from the Lord, but they are not who you are, and they are not your foundation. Gateway, our identity is not found in how quickly we build this new church building, or how nice it is, even though we really want it to be nice. It's not found in how big our congregation is or how big the first service is and how big the second service is and how many children we have and and all these things that, that sometimes we focus on as our identity. It's not found in how hip or seeker friendly our church is. Our identity is found in being a family of Jesus followers, disciples who seek to hear God's will and do it together on mission. And when we get this, and when we live out of this, tension and anxiety leave. Contentment comes, and our hearts are filled with satisfaction. Does that mean we don't struggle, or we don't ever feel a bit disappointed? No. But it means we have something to keep coming back to. Jesus will keep on reminding us of who we are in him, and that gives us hope. So where are you at? Maybe you've never put your hope or your faith in Christ and and actually received his new identity. Or maybe you've forgotten who Jesus is and who you are in Christ. In what or in whom are you finding your identity? 
Is it first and foremost in Jesus, or is it in being a mother or wanting to be a mother? Is it in being a wife or wanting to be a wife, vice versa, fathers, husbands? Is it in your career, what you do or what you don't do? How much you have or how little you have? In how many likes and followers you have or how many you don't? Is it in who you're friends with or who you're not friends with? Or is it in what you look like or what you don't look like? I want to leave you with one key to finding and growing in your identity in Christ. And that is spending time with Jesus. We have got to spend time with Jesus. Because as we do, our our opinion goes away, and it's his opinion that becomes most important to us, more important than anything else. It's in time with him that our minds are renewed through reading his scripture and hearing his voice, and he begins to give us his perspective. It's through time with him that he convicts us of where we're placing our identity, finding it, and, and he shows us who we truly are. But it happens in cultivating a relationship with Jesus. In cultivating a relationship with his word and with his spirit. We have to spend time with him. Spending time in his house is where we were meant to be. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus' identity was and is the Son of God, a hearer and doer of God's will, a seeker of his presence, and ours is the same. And we have a choice every day. Are we going to walk in that and live out that true identity?